You're listening to My First by Athletes Media Group. My First is a series that takes athletes down memory lane as they reflect back on intimate moments and the highs and lows of their first professional game and their first professional season. On this episode of My First, we were joined by NBA Hall of Famer and Portland Trailblazer legend Clyde Drexler. In this episode, we talked about his legendary battles with MJ in the NBA Finals, and he made us honorary members of Phi Slamma Jamma, which was pretty cool. We hope you enjoy Clyde Drexler. Welcome back to another edition of My First, presented by Athletes Media Group. We are thrilled to be joined tonight by Hall of Famer, 1995 NBA champ, 10-time All-Star, 1992 Dream Team gold medalist, Clyde Drexler. Clyde, thanks so much for spending some time with us this evening. Delighted to be here, fellas. How's it going? (laughs) We're doing pretty well. No complaints here. Just hanging out, watching some football, talking to a Hall of Famer. Doesn't get much better than that. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Why don't we just jump right into it? Let's take you back to October 28th, 1983, Memorial Coliseum in Portland, Oregon. Um, take us into the locker room uh, pregame, the tunnel. What were some of the sights and sounds that stick out to you looking back um, from before tip-off? Well, well guys, you know, uh, that was a long time ago. That was, what was that, <laughs> 37 years ago? 37. Shit, I can barely born, remember Rob? what happened last week. There you go. Let alone <laughs> <laughs> 37 years ago. <laughs> Making the team was a, was a dream come true, right? Just your first game, whether it's preseason or regular season, I put that jersey on because I held out. So when I put that jersey on and I'm in the locker room getting ready to go out and play, it was a feeling of euphoria. This was a dream come true to be playing in the locker room with the best in the world. I have an NBA jersey. You know, they're not, there's not that many of them, right? Well, we got less than 450 per year. So to be one of those guys, let me tell you something. That's a strong group. <laughs> yeah, because I'm serious when I tell you, I don't remember anything. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. We can remind you. <laughs> so you guys came out on top that night. It was 107-93. You guys beat the then San, uh, San Diego Clippers. Let's see. You ended up with 11 minutes on the night, two points, uh, and a rebound, an assist, and a steal. Do you remember... Uh, I, I mean, I can rattle off the names. Do you remember anybody that would have been on the Clippers roster that night? Uh, yeah, yeah. They had uh, Jerome Whitehead. They had a bunch of talented players. Wasn't Bill yep. Walton on that team? Uh, I don't see Bill Walton. I see Jerome Whitehead. I see Byron Craig Scott. Hodges. Norm Nixon. Norm was on Nixon that team. Marcus Johnson. Terry Cummings. Terry Cummings. Special K, a good Greg team. Kelser. Yeah, Greg Kelser. Yeah, it was a loaded squad. Uh, Terry Cummings had 23-8 and eight that night. Yeah, and let me tell you something. We love going to San Diego to play the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? Well, leaving Portland, you know, it was, it was the sunshine. But also yep. you get to see the ocean, the good weather, and the beauty of San Diego. So it was always a great road trip, and it didn't take that long to get there. It's what it's seventy two and sunny every day in San Diego, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's probably why I didn't remember. One, I didn't play that much because I held out of camp. And if you remember those old school coaches, coaches, I had Jack Ramsey. Uh, Jack Ramsey is not going to let you play 
until you learn all 200 of his plays and every option <laughs> off of those plays. <laughs> so as a rookie, you got a lot of work to do. Trust me. You shot 1,000 at night. You were 100% from the floor, one from one, one for one. So you did get three fouls in your 11 minutes. So you were getting at it defensively. I'll give you that. Let me tell you something. I was just happy to be on the floor. But when you look at that, think about that. You played 11 minutes and had two points. You know, in my whole career, I don't think I, I did any worse. <laughs> yeah, two was probably a career low. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I always laugh. The only guy that stopped me was my rookie coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were you, as much as you can remember, were you nervous at all that night, or was it more so just chomping at the bit to get after it? No, no, I never was nervous when you play basketball. That's what you were, you know, bred to do. You, you, you loved it. And when the game came, that's the reason you put all that time and effort into it to do good in the games. And so when the game came, I was relaxed. I was like, this is, I put on all this time. Let me see what it's going, what kind of fruit is it going to bear? Because, you know, when you play against the best in the world, it's never going to be easy. But you always want to test your talents to see where you are against the best in the world. So you mentioned Dr. Jack as your as your head coach and being a little bit more of the of the old school style. Was he the type to have any sort of uh, pregame thoughts or specific wisdom for you as a rookie going out there before your first game? Well, I was the kind of guy where, I, you know, I'm one, I was one of those guys who practiced five, six to eight hours a day in the offseason, you know, complete with a nine mile run, an hour and a half of weight sessions. Then I go back and do some hit sections. And then you get to the basketball side. You got to do hour of dribbling, hour of passing, left hand, right hand, a couple hours of shooting. And so you put that time in, right? You're always working on your defense, your rebounding. So you're thinking about the game constantly. And so, you know, when, when you get to the game and your coaches tell you, you know, this and that, you, all you want to do is get out there and show them what you can do because this is the game of production. Either you're going to get it done or you're not, right? And I was one of those guys who worked 10 hours a day. So I knew I'd had a lot of success against guys who were good players in the NBA. And I knew my game was going to stack up very well. But you got, you got, to, tell, you got to prove that to your coach so he can get you some quality playing time. Right. And that work ethics while you're one of the all-time greats. For, for that first year, did your final four runs, were you able to draw experience from that to kind of get you ready? Or is the NBA just a completely different level of type of basketball? No, no, those are great questions, guys. But I think whenever you played in big games, big games are big games. Whether you're in Pony League, NBA, or college, you've played in big games, you've been on the big surface, the big, you know, 55,000 people cheering against you. And so that, that prepares you for everything you're going to do in the NBA. The only problem is the guys in the NBA are really good. They're bigger, <laughs> they're stronger, they're faster. I've heard they're okay. They're much yeah. smarter than you think they are. <laughs> So can you take us back into your first practice after holding out? What was it like walking in there? Um, obviously a, a small fish. Did you have any uh, clout that came with you from your high-profile career in college, or were you immediately low man on the totem pole? Let me tell you something. I, I, you know, Jack Rams, I loved him because he was a good old-school coach. He was a teacher first. He was, he was big on being prepared for whatever you were going to do. He was a physical fitness uh, just – expert and so was I so we we bonded right away because of that we're always working out I mean you see Dr. Jack 
He's swimming two hours before practice. He's running nine <laughs> miles before practice. And I'd run into him all the time, right, on the road. He'd go, hey, what are you doing out here? You got a game tonight. I go, yeah, I'm getting ready for the game. I'm just running a quick five miles. <laughs> but he loved that, right? And so, you know, his thing with me was, you know, Clyde's got the right attitude, but you got to learn my plays, young man. And now, not only that, I got Jim Paxson ahead of me, who was second team all NBA the year before I got there. And he's only 25, so it's not like he's old. <laughs> so also, you got Calvin Nat. You had a guy named Lafayette Lever. <laughs> Some pretty good players. Darnell Valentine. He goes, we got a lot of good players ahead of you. He said, you're going to have to work your way down the ladder. And so he was one of those old school coaches who knew, like he knew I wanted to play. And when he watched me play in practice, he goes, oh, my God, he could be special. But the next game, I'm only going to get 10 minutes. <laughs> so it was frustrating as heck for me. But it was the greatest way to bring in a rookie to make you work for your position instead of just giving it to you because you're really not going to appreciate it that way. Guys in the league these days seem pretty buddy-buddy. Was there anybody that reached out to you kind of immediately after you were drafted, or did you meet everybody for the first time at that first practice? You know, that's another thing about the NBA. Those guys are grown-ass men. They got families and kids. They're not thinking about your ass. I mean, they're really nice guys. <laughs> they're like, hey, welcome, rookie. I'll see you later. And hopefully you don't get lost, right? So <laughs> you're new to the city. Every now and then you have really nice teammates. Like Michael Thompson, Clay Thompson's dad, was incredibly nice, right? He would invite me over for dinner because he knew I had nothing to do. Even if we had pizza, he'd invite me over, right? Because he'd always tried to be a mentor and a friend. And some of the other guys, I mean, they you see them in practice and the game, and that was it. But Michael Thompson, Darnell Valentine, uh, those guys would like like my brothers, and they took care of me, man. And I needed it. I was 21, coming from the city of Houston, going to Portland, Oregon, where they went to sleep at eight o'clock. It was a different experience. <laughs> so we talked with Jason Terry the other day, and his his role as a rookie was to bring the Krispy Kremes to the to the stadium. Did you have any rookie roles like that through your first year? Let me tell you something. I wasn't having none of that. <laughs> I was one of those hard headed rookies. You couldn't tell me nothing. Hey, you better, hey, I can play. You better go let somebody else who can't play bring those balls. I'm not getting up early and getting donuts for nobody. <laughs> so when you came into the league, did you have any familiarity with either guys on the Blazers or this first game with the Clippers, uh, whether it be from playing through high school or college, or was it pretty much completely fresh with everybody in there? Uh, yeah, I kind of knew Michael Thompson. We had a couple of friends who were from the Bahamas in Houston that we had mutual friends. Um, but, 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 uh, that was it, uh, quickly befriended Kenny Carr, guys like Kenny Carr, Audie Norris, uh, just great teammates, uh, Wayne Cooper, uh, another guy. I mean, but those guys were just professionals and, uh, you know, like I said, they didn't have a lot of time for you. They were worried about, you know, when practice was over, they're going home. They got to mow the yard. <laughs> you know, they got their own lives. The NBA, these are men you're dealing with, you know, so. They got their own lives. Do you remember early on if anybody was uh, that talked a lot? And even throughout your best throughout your career, who were some of the best trash talkers you came across? Well, you know, there are a lot of guys who talk trash. <laughs> who but could talk and back it up? Yeah, but, you know, but talking trash is part of it. If you're going to talk trash, at least have a sense of humor, you know. 
<laughs> so, how was your trash talking? Yeah, that's what, yeah. I never talk trash, guys, because you know I'm a serious we, player. And if you talk trash to me, I'm gonna light you up. Just plain as <laughs> and I'm we've been told by we've been told by a few people that Larry Bird talked a lot. Is that true? Well, Larry, Larry was the first flash, but Larry was funny with his. I mean, he had a whole two man comedy show. Him and Mikael. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, "I'm Garden Bird," and he goes, "Hey, Mikael, oh, give me the ball. Guess who's on? Guess who's on me?" <laughs> Look who's got me, a little pig. Give me that ball. I mean, they had a two-man, oh, who, is that Clyde on you? Oh, here, Larry. I mean, they had a whole comedy skit, dude, throughout the whole game. And they were really good, too. So it really got on your nerve. <laughs> During your either your first game or your entire rookie year, did you have any, like, wow, I'm on the floor with so-and-so moments? Yeah, quite a few. You know, my favorite player growing up was Julius Irving. And so, but, it, and, and I got to know Julius by the time I was 16. So by the time I made it to the league, we're like little brother, big brother, right? And so Moses Malone was one of my favorite guys, grew up in the city of Houston. So Moses was like a big brother. And so Moses was playing with Julius when I was in the NBA my rookie year. And so, boy, that was like the, the cat's meow. You get to hang out with Moses and Julius. Come on, they were teammates. And they'd come to my locker room and say, hey, Drex, where are we going tonight? <laughs> come on, can you imagine that? Two legends like that. Oh, that was. I can't bomb, imagine guys. it. No, but I'm not Clyde Drexler. So. <laughs> but that was the bomb. It didn't get any better. Trust me. Uh, let's talk a few more of your first. Do you remember any first, like first dunk, first technical, first ejection? Were you ejected from a game? I got ejected from a lot of games. Do you remember your first ejection? Trust me. <laughs> you know, when, when you play with passion and commitment, uh, sometimes uh, you, you that passion gets a little bit uh, uh, overboard there. Uh, but, but, you know, you, you got to have the love and the passion, but you also have to have the respect. And so I got, you know, back then it didn't cost much to get throughout. It cost you like $150, guys. So we're down <laughs> that's 20. That's well worth it. That's yeah. well worth it. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're down 20 in the fourth quarter. And the referee, I, I think we're, you know, we're on the road, and I don't think he's giving us a good game. I'm going to let him have it. <laughs> Absolutely. So so you would get thrown out on purpose at times? Well, in the last couple the minutes because, you know, the game is out of hand. So you just let him know, dude, you do your homework because you are terrible. Do you remember the Sean Elliott or David Robinson dunks when you hammered on them? No, no. But, again, if they didn't pick me up before I jumped, it was over. <laughs> I'll, I'll just remind just remind you after watching the videos they were very sweet dunks. So <laughs> you, I, I want to go back and relive them. You might want to YouTube your name here. <laughs> so obviously you've, you have many to choose from. Do you have a, a favorite dunk that you did over the course of your career? One that sticks you know, out? Dunks for me were a sign of dominance. You know, just I did it so much to let you know that you couldn't stop me, and if you could, you w- I wouldn't be doing it right. <laughs> So it was a sign of dominance, and, and you just wanted to be efficient. And so the most efficient shot was what? The dunk shot. Hammering it, yeah. But not that's, that's why I dunk do all the time, it, too. So they, don't, they, they probably don't think the same way. And dunking is just taking another man's soul, which I love. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about it. It's taking another man's soul, which just seems so cool to me to just hammer on somebody. Well, it's it just letting them know that no matter what you do, you can't stop me. <laughs> Basically, that was the attitude. And so – Every time you did it, it, it reminded them, this guy is hard to stop. Uh, so flipping back to your first game, do you remember how many tickets that you had to round up for friends and family for that first game? Well, you know, I didn't know many people in Portland. The guys I knew, 
were playing with me. <laughs> so I was one of those rookies where they all used to come for, hey, Clyde, can I get your tickets? Speak back to that that first game. Were there were there any lessons like right off the bat for that first game that you carried with you that maybe you weren't expecting an NBA game to be like, or you had played at such a high level? Was it was it pretty much as expected? You guys, if you guys know me, I'm always going to be honest, right? I don't I ain't, I don't sugarcoat much. Hear it. Let's there hear was it. nothing about that game that surprised me. The only thing that surprised me was how little time I got. <laughs> <laughs> so going into that game, did you think you you might play big minutes? You know that. Think about it. My rookie year, Jack Ramsey, being the old school coach, I love him. Uh, great guy. He he played me ten minutes a game the first forty two games, no matter how good or bad I was doing. At the All Star break in my rookie year. I had a conversation with Dr. Jack and let him know I wasn't too happy about that. I told him he's the best defender in the world. He's the only guy that ever stopped me, right? And so he said, well, you did play pretty good, but if you work on your defense a little bit harder, I'm going to play you a little bit more the second half of the season. So I averaged about 10 minutes a game before the All-Star break. After the All-Star break, I averaged 25 minutes a game. Now that's where it all began to click. Obviously, it worked. You can finish guys finished third in the Western Conference. Clearly, there was a method to that madness. We had a good team, really good team, guys. And Jack Ramsey was a brilliant coach. When did the thought process that I may end up in the NBA, when did that become a reality for you? At what point in your life? Well, I, I was about 16 years old, guys. And I used to go to Fun Day Recreation in downtown Houston, Texas. And all the pros would be there. Moses Malone, Robert Reed, Allen Level, Calvin Murphy. And, and Major Jones, many, many more, all the Rockets. And and Moses, who was probably the most, you know, he's MVP of the league, so he's the best player in the country, right? Moses would always say, who is that fucking little guy? He played like Dr. <laughs> J. And, and, and my name was Drexler, right? He used to call me Dessel. Give me that goddamn Dessel. That damn Dessel can play. <laughs> what, so, that, what does that do and, for your confidence then, as yeah. a 16-year-old hearing the best player in the world say that? Right? So... That was the funniest thing ever, but it's a true story. So he go, that damn little Dessel can play. So so I, I had a feeling at that point that, you know, I was getting pretty good. But think about that. The three-time MVP of the league calling you out and picking you ahead of his teammates to play in the game. Because if you lost, you had to sit down for an hour or two. So you didn't want to lose, right? That'd be an experience, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from the time uh, 16 you start – start picturing the NBA, start building up in your head. Did the experience of living out your dream for that first game, did it live up to the hype? Well, you know, I was always happy when the team was winning. And, and so that's the bottom line. Uh, I, I wasn't happy with, you know, my situation as a rookie playing time, but I truly understood the experience and I knew it, it couldn't go anywhere but up. So I was always optimistic and very positive. So let's go back to – High school talk a little bit. I understand you were a pretty good baseball player. Yeah, I played a lot of baseball. Love, love, love the game even to this day. Did you think that you might go play professional baseball instead of basketball? I don't know if I was, you know, that good. But I, I started. Uh, you know, my high school was a pretty good inner city baseball school. A lot, a lot of kids, right? A lot of tough district. I started as a freshman, which was back in those days, the tenth grade, right? So if you make the varsity as a tenth grader and you're starting at first base. You're a pretty good player. But the basketball coach came and got me right off of first base. He's like, we'll take Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I hadn't seen that first base since. So obviously, going to Houston, you were part of a pretty special collegiate team uh, referred to as Phi Slamma Jamma. Where did, where did that nickname come from? Actually, it was one of the beat reporters in Houston, Texas, a uh, guy by the name of Tommy Bunk. He was, he was trying to come up with a name that made sense, Phi Slamma Wonka, Dunkle Slamma Jamma. I mean, finally it came out to be Texas' tallest fraternity, Phi Slamma Jamma, which made sense. Yeah, it's honestly one of the all-time coolest, coolest nicknames, nicknames of, of anything. And it's um, a true fraternity to this day. <laughs> that is That's awesome. You guys want to be honorary frat members. Yes. Now, yes. I, first of all, I got to test your verticals. <laughs> okay, I will give you a solid certain amount, do, maybe a couple dozen inches on this vertical. So I think you should crown us honorary members of the fraternity right now. One thing I'm sure of is that both of your verticals are better than mine today, so you're going to be honorary frat members. Nailed it. Coming from Clyde Drexler, that's legit. I've never been more proud of anything in my entire Going life. Going on the resume. <laughs> so can you can you tell us a little bit about that fi- uh, famous final against NC State? Do you still think about that that night? No, you know, they were a good team. People don't realize how good they were. Jim Valvano, those guys were battle-tested. They had beaten uh, Virginia the same way. They beat North Carolina the same way. And, and, and let me tell you something. They, 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 they would get behind, and then they would follow you, put you on the free throw line. And if you couldn't make the free throws, they would come back and, and win the game. And they did that three or four times in route to their championship. If you do that once, <laughs> it's a miracle. To do that three or four times, I mean, that's, that's destiny, guys. That's all I can say about it. And if Jim, Jim Balbano didn't win that game, you know, we wouldn't know who the heck he was today. And all the money he's raised for cancer research, I mean, that would never have occurred, right? So basically you saved lives losing Absolutely. that game. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but in sports, yeah. you know, the best team doesn't always win. But the team that wins, you have to give them respect and, and give them credit for their win. That's one thing you have to do. So what went into your thought process of foregoing your senior year? Well, uh, a lot of scouts were calling. Uh, I had a teammate by the name of Robert Williams who had gone the year before, and the scouts used to w- come to watch him, and, and they would all tell me, oh, my God, you can go, you know, in this draft if you put your name in the hat. And so, the, and then the Rockets told me, you know, they, we got the first and the third pick. We're definitely going to get you with one or the other. If we don't get Ralph first, we'll get you first. But, you know, Ralph was 7-4, player of the year, you know, and so they said, we'll probably pick you up with the third pick. Uh, and then about a week before the draft, after I'd already declared hardship, they called me and said, uh, you know what? It may not happen. We just got a new coach, and we may want to go in a different direction. So I, I thanked them for that call. And that's when I visited Portland, the only franchise that I went to work out for. And, of course, I'm there. They got the 14 pick. And they're like, you're not going to be around. You're going to be gone in the first two or three picks. But if you are, we're definitely going to get you. <laughs> it's a good thing so I a, visited. Trust me. Take us into draft night a little bit. Uh, what were some of the emotions, uh, some of the reactions that you had, especially once your name was called? Hey, guys, it's, you know, it's a blessing and it's an honor. Anytime you get drafted to do something that you want to, that you've been dreaming about doing, don't know if you're going to be good enough to play with the best. Uh, it's a tremendous honor. Uh, of course, that's the first step. And so, I didn't care if my name was called last in the first round. I just wanted to for one of those teams to call my name. 
And that's why I was so loyal to Portland because a lot of teams passed. I think Dallas had three picks in the first round. The Rockets had two. And they got to see me for three years in college, right? Your college player of the year in your district. So they know what you can do. They should have known. (laughs) Yeah, realistically speaking, they probably should have taken you. (laughs) That would would have been a smart move. <laughs> did you did you have a uh, did you have a draft watch party? Did you have people over to to celebrate the night? Oh, guys, it wasn't that kind of deal for me. It was just a you know I'm a quiet kind of guy, quiet celebrations with friends and family. But uh, it was a good moment in time. And even though it was disappointing to go 14, I still knew that all you know all you got to do is add sweat, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I had a big chip on my shoulder. Trust me. Did you know going through college in the early days in the NBA, did you know that Hakeem would end up being as, as good as he was? Well, you know, we knew he would work hard. Uh, but think about it. He had teammates like me, Michael Young, uh, Larry Mitchell, Rob Williams, all very good players. He had a coach like Guy Lewis who thought he was the best big man coach in the world. So that was a, a, a blessing. And you got a mentor like Moses Malone, three-time MVP of the NBA. So Hakeem was surrounded with a lot of great things, but more importantly, his work ethic was, is, is the deciding factor. And so when he first came to the University of Houston, he was 6'11", about 190. So he redshirted his first year, and then, you know, he gained about 60 pounds, 40, at least 40 pounds. And then the, the second year, he came off the bench. You know, you really couldn't throw it to him because he would travel a lot, right? And so the, at the end of that second year, he started to really develop his offensive game, his post game. But he was always a great shot blocker and a rebounder. So we went to the finals that, that, that when he, with him coming off the bench. And then the next year, those seniors left, Hakeem and I uh, kind of took over the leadership role, and he became the dream. <laughs> and then when I left, he, he continued being a bigger <laughs> version of the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's fast forward to 1990, your first go at the NBA Finals. As a Michigan guy, a, a Pistons fan, I got to ask you about your battles with the, with the bad boys. It was that as physical and demanding of an experience. Call soft. As Call it, soft. Yeah, go ahead. That, would be, <laughs> yeah, that be was fine. basketball at its finest. I mean, they were a good team. Think about all the great players and great coaches with Chuck Daly. You got John Sally. You got a Dennis Rodman with no tattoos uh, looking normal out there. Uh, <laughs> you got the microwave. You got Dumars, you got Isaiah, one of the greatest point guards ever to play this game. And you got Lambeer, who's a tough, good, big shooting big man who can play defense. And so they got all the components off the bench. They got James Edwards, John Sally. And so they had everything you could imagine as a coach, team. Uh, and they had great leadership. And, and so they were poised. They were a team to be reckoned with. When and where and how did you get your Clyde the Glide nickname? Well, you know, the more I start developing as a player, I think my high school teammates in the 10th grade, I used to take off from way back. And so Clyde the Glide was, was and dunk it. And so that was an easy nickname that, you know, you had to have a nickname back then. What you didn't want was one of those goofy nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> so Clyde the Glide was sane. I liked it. It was a good fit. Yeah, between you, Akeem the Dream, and Five Slam a Jam. I mean, that's three of the all-time great Best nicknames sports ever. nicknames. Yeah. Yeah, all, all, uh, great moment in time, guys. So I'm, I'm going to bring up a name to you. We like to ask the old guys about some of their uh, issues they had with officiating. Um, we've heard the name Steve Javi often. Uh, what was it, Dick Bavetta? Dick Bavetta, yeah. Dick Bavetta. Um, we've heard Tim Donahue, obviously. My name for you is Jake O'Donnell. 
What do you want to say about Jake? Guys, I'm going to invoke my Fifth Amendment rights. <laughs> you are too nice of a person, because if it was me, there'd be no Fifth Amendment. <laughs> now, you know, some things you're still passionate about. So, you know, I, I'm one of those guys who live and let live. I, I'm going to even not speak on it. <laughs> Let's move on to, uh, I mean, let's talk about some of the other big, I guess, where you got close in your career. So we're talking finals, talking about the Bulls, the Lakers, and the Western Conference title. What, what season end was the toughest for you to stomach? Like, which one stung the most? Probably 1990-91, because we had just come from the finals in 1990 with the Pistons. We were young. We were still healthy. We, so we get the best record in the league in 91. And uh, we were expected to go back to the finals and have a chance to win it. And so we lose to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And, and, and it was, that was probably the toughest season because I thought we were the best team in the league that year. And we had proven it. We had beaten the best teams in their places. They didn't beat us at home. And so we had proven that we were the best team that year. Not only did we have the best record, we had the, the pedigree. We had just come from the finals. So you know it's not accidental. During a time when these teams had dynasties, Hall of Fame coaches, Hall of Fame players, and so this little team from Portland, Oregon, is always in the mix. Think about that. So that was the hardest year. So we don't go to the finals. We lose in the Western Conference Finals to the Lakers, and the Bulls beat the Lakers in the finals. And then the next year, we make it back to the finals against the Bulls. So that was redemption, right? Even though we didn't win, we, we, we let everybody know, this is no one-off. You know, this is a team that deserves to be there, and we're real close to a championship. So let's fast forward to uh, when you guys did bring it home. Obviously, you were part of two I- iconic NBA, well, basketball teams. You had the, the Rockets team that, that downed the Magic in the finals and also the, the Dream team. Which of those two wins was more satisfying and why? Well, your, guys, your gold medal all, all with Team USA. satisfying. Let me just tell you why. Because that's what you, you give do. Up I mean, you'd, rather, you'd rather win <laughs> than lose, right? And so yeah. regardless, you know it's a team sport. So here's what you do, what a lot of people don't think about. In a team sport, it's not like golf or tennis. You can have 50 points and 40 rebounds. And if I don't make the two free throws to win the game and we lose, are you not a champion? Think about that. Some guy on the other team didn't even play and he's a champion? You got 40 that, points, 50 I, That's goals. the – that's what drives me nuts about the the LeBron arguments currently is people will hold his finals record against him. It's like, did you see some of these rosters Unbelievable. to the finals? Unbelievable. I got I feel his pain. <laughs> Other teams <laughs> playing with four five Hall of Famers. He's out there with guys on ten day contracts. It's like really <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Keep going. But yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. Yeah, but you know, in a team sport, you 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 can have fifty points and forty rebounds. And you don't win. Are you not a champion? You you are a champion. You're more than a champion. You deserve to have a ring. But all the stars have to align. You have to be on a team that's good enough and lucky enough and healthy enough to win it all. And sometimes, you know, when you're in your prime, you're not in an organization that will give you those tools to compete with the best teams. So that's really not your fault. Think about that. You only can do the best you can with what you have to work with. A couple of times we're playing the Lakers. Think about this. In, in, in the mid-'80s, they got Michael Thompson, number one pick, Bob McAdoo, number one pick, Kareem, number one pick, Worthy, number one pick, 
Magic Johnson, number one pick. And they're really, they got guys like Byron Scott, Kurt Rambis, A.C. Green, all good players, right? I got guys like Richard Anderson, Caldwell Jones. And Roll we're call. playing Keep them going. in the first round. Caldwell <laughs> Jones was 50 years old. And we're playing them in the first round. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what part of this am I missing? <laughs> so I feel LeBron. I feel it. You're one of 15 people in the world I can ask this question to. There was a story written, the greatest game nobody ever saw, and it was the scrimmage for dream for your dream team where you just broke it in half and went at it. MJ is famously quoted as saying it's the most fun he's ever had on a basketball floor. Somehow this tape, which I know exists, don't tell me it doesn't exist. I know it exists. Somehow it's not public yet. What can you tell us about that scrimmage? Guys, all I can tell you is we were competitors in every way. And, you know, MJ, Magic, Bird, those guys are icons. Come on. And so, you know, I was in my ninth year, I think, uh, 92. Yeah, ninth, ninth. And I had a knee injury. So I wasn't really trying to practice. Let me just tell you. I was trying to <laughs> hold on because I needed meniscus surgery. So I was trying to hold on so I could participate for the Olympics, even at, even on one leg, so, so I can have that experience. So on days off, I was not the one that was trying to do anything, trust me. Nor was Bird. He had back issues. And so you can see us on the back going, hey, y'all go ahead. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the other guys, they're so competitive, you know. They're going to do what competitive guys do. They're going to compete. It was great to watch. It was great to participate. That was the greatest team ever assembled. And just a great group of guys, man. We really bonded with that team. How often was Christian Leitner just looking around like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Christian was a good college player. He deserved to be on that team. And I know Shaq was slighted. He, he sh- should have easily been there. But Christian deserved to be on that team as well. So let's not beat him up. He's a great guy. Had a really oh, good I'm sure he's a good career. guy, but he did not. He looks weird in that team picture. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> he belonged, though. He was good. <laughs> okay. And even worse, he was a dookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to get it? So is this stat here? This is current? No. Up to the, but when, but when he, when he, re, when he retired – one of three players would have been at that time with 20,000 career points, 6,000 rebounds, 3,000 assists. That leads me to my question. Looking at some of your averages, I think you're everyone knows you're a phenomenal scorer. I think you're underrated as a rebounder and passer. I I wasn't I consider myself in the top one percent of NBA fans. I, yeah, <laughs> as far as like how much I love the game, I did not know about these rebound and assist numbers. Uh, well, you know that's part of it. You know the, the the devil is in the details, guys. Right. So and actually, it's supposed to be six thousand assists. Not you know when I retired, Oscar Robinson, John Havlicek, and myself were the only and guys. The only ones. In the twenty thousand, yeah. six thousand rebounds, six thousand assists club. Now there are other guys who, who are more It's a versatile. different game now, too, though. Right. Yeah. Well, well, Faster paint, yeah. No hand checking, no defense. <laughs> but I still love it. I still love the game. But, 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 you know, the intangibles, like guys who played in my era, think about it. I was 6'7", 235, running to 4'2", 40, bench pressing over 300 pounds, and they t- with a 44-inch vertical. And, and I hear things like the guys are more athletic now. <laughs> really? I can tell by the way he's laughing. He doesn't agree. <laughs> no. <laughs> would you Would you have enjoyed playing in, in today's NBA? Oh, my oh, yeah, God. I would never shoot a shot. I would just go to the rim, run over people and hit them. I mean, why would you shoot a shot? 
I mean, you'd be 40 a game in today's oh, NBA easy. calling it spade a spade. Yeah. yeah. Come on. But, but you know, all you can do is I, I wouldn't trade errors for anything, right? I love the era I played in. It was a golden era. And so these guys today, they're, they're phenomenally talented. They've had to adjust to the game on their level. And so give them credit. I don't want to take any credit from them. So sticking with your Houston days, how, uh, how, did, you, how did you enjoy playing for Coach Rudy Tomjanovich? Rudy was a player's coach. Uh, he never bothered you. Rudy would ask you how you feel on practice days. And, you know, he, he was always well organized. Just a great player's coach. Uh, just a consummate player's coach. Treated me like I'd been there for 20 years the first day I got there. I got nothing but respect for him uh, until the day I retired. You know, Rudy's a great coach and deserved to be in the hall. So I read a report that said that prior to the 84 draft, the Trailblazers had offered you in the number two pick for Ralph Sampson. That would have given them one and two, which would have been Hakeem and MJ and you. Um, that would have been a nice, <laughs> nice one, two, three. Um, it seems like it was always in the stars for you eventually to go back to Houston and play for the Rockets. Well, you know, Hakeem and I always wanted to play together. We had such good chemistry at the University of Houston because we both played extremely hard, up and down, fast paced. Very athletic. We're going to block everything. We're going to make steals. We're going to force you defensively to do stuff you don't want to do. And on the other end, we were tough to stop offensively. And so for years, we tried to get together and play. But there are a lot of what ifs, you know, like Portland had the coin flip to draft Hakeem. They lose the coin flip. (laughs) So not only do you not get Hakeem, you don't get Michael Jordan. Think about yeah, that, that. That's a tough break. That's a tough break. Tough breaks all along. <laughs> trust me. But, you know, I always say everything that's supposed to happen always happens. God has his own plan. And so what happened was good. Uh, you know, you do the best. If you, if, if you dealt lemonade, I mean, if, if, if you got lemons, try to make some lemonade, okay? <laughs> so, so let's jump to your on-court style a little bit. Um, during your playing days, you had amongst the strongest mustache game oh, of anyone I've ever seen. Best mustache player ever. Is there anyone <laughs> in today's game that you really respect their facial hair game? Well, you know, James Harden has to have the best facial hair game going, right? He's, he's, he's not called the beard for nothing, right? But but they go they go like Grizzly Adams looking, you know? <laughs> and, and it's so cool today. But back then, if even being in Portland, that would have been extreme. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even being in Portland. Speaking, I of, love it. speaking of Portland, were there all of the uh, artisanal coffee shops back when you were playing there? Is that kind of a... <laughs> yeah, Portland's always been an intellectual group of people. Just, you know, really, I'm so proud of those people. It's just a great part of the country. as God's country. They're, you know, they're very liberal. They're inclusive of everyone. Equal rights is important. And so, I, you know, what they're doing now is, is it puts tears in my eyes because they're standing up for the right thing. They're going to be on the right side of history. Great food city, too. Yeah. Absolutely. The best food. Uh, you know, they, they, they're they really good chefs. Culinary skills are off the charts. Uh, they really focus on it. Healthy eating. Yoga, Pilates were big in the 80s. They're, think about that. Stuff like that is just getting big on the mainstream scale in this country. But in Portland in the 80s, that was big. Speaking of just getting big on the, the main, mainstream scale, can you tell us a little bit about the development of the Big Three? Well, the Big Three is uh, Jeff Quantinitz and Ice Cube. Uh, that's their baby. It's a wonderful game, professional three-on-three half-court basketball, played by some of the best players in the world 
ex-NBA players and some current NBA players. And it's the outside of the NBA, it's the most competitive basketball on the planet. And it's so much fun to watch because these guys compete. They go at it. And so our games were filled with, with, with sellouts. People couldn't get enough of the games. And uh, as commissioner of the big three, it was a blast, guys. I can't wait for next summer. <laughs> There's got to be some serious trash talk in that league. Oh, those, now those guys talk trash. And they can back it up. Guys like Steven Jackson, you know, Corey Maggette, uh Joe Johnson was a phenom. Next year we're going to have Zach, Zach Randolph and a bunch of other great players who are still – the reason they're still good because it's three-on-three half court. They don't have to run up and down. So in half court, those guys are tough. You try to guard one of them dudes half in half court if you can. And in three-on-three, three-on-three, you can't hide. You got to play defense. <laughs> so it's fun. Yeah, my guy Mo Evans is in the big three. Exactly. Who was at for a while. Mo's That's my guy. Yeah. Um, who is your – Favorite dunker in the NBA now, or is there a dunker that reminds you of yourself? Well, the, the obvious choice is LeBron. Because when he's on a fast break, he gets up so high, it's almost like he's on a trampoline, he's throwing it down. It reminds me a lot of myself. But but let me tell you something. The King, even after all these years, he's still got a lot of spring in his leg. And that tells you that he takes great care of his body. This guy's a consummate professional. I've always loved this game. Why? Because if you're his teammate, and you're open, he's going to give you the ball. How many superstars can you say that about? And it drives me nuts that that people knock him down for that. Yeah. That drives me nuts. That's crazy yeah. because that's the way the game's supposed to be played. Now, MJ would pass it too, but 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 MJ want to take that shot, and he's going to make it if he takes it. But if you're open, MJ would give it to you as well. That's why he's one of the greatest of all times as well. Who has the best barbecue in Houston? Well, it used to be Drexel's Barbecue, but my family uh, retired in 2006, guys. So I'd like we, – we only have one shop. It's on the campus of University of Houston, and it's still going strong. But uh, I would say that's the best. But uh, there are a lot of great barbecue spots here in the uh, southwest, Houston in particular, uh, people who, are, are, who live to, to be better uh, pit masters, as we call them. And, uh, you know, the, you know, the key to being a, having a good restaurant, barbecue restaurant, is the desserts, guys. You got to have the oh, banana oh, pudding. Speaking my language, Clyde, pudding. what do we got for dessert? What do we have? <laughs> <laughs> What's the best barbecue dessert? Well, for me, guys, my favorite is probably uh, the socket timmy cake. Now, look that up because we don't have enough time. All right, doing it right now. <laughs> socket Toomey cake. It's just a, it's just a, a yellow cake. Yeah, it looks pretty cinnamon. good. I see frosting on it. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Big frosting guy. There you go. So we have a Texan in here. What's what's your favorite Texas city? You can't say Houston. Pick them. They're all spectacular. They're all bigger than you think they are, nicer, with more amenities. I mean, Austin is fantastic. San Antonio, you go to Dallas, I and mean, you can't go wrong. Texas is so underrated, it's unbelievable. You actually get something for your money. The taxes are, are, are lower. <laughs> so who gets the most love in Houston between the Rockets, the Texans, or the uh, cheating Astros, the asterisks? Oh, hold on, hold on. Uh, Don't talk about my strolls. Come on. <laughs> I should have worn this shirt. I'll wear it tomorrow for another show. But, uh, I mean, I 
in, in full transparency, I have a buzzer on right now that tells me when to ask you a question. <laughs> That's why this has been going so well. But <laughs> which of the three teams gets the most love in Houston? It depends on who's winning. <laughs> and right now it's the Astros. So I love my Astros. I love the Texans. And now the Rockets, you know, when they're doing well, they get the most love as well. But it's great to be in a city that has the option of all these different sports franchises. I think that's beautiful. Do you think the Astros had buzzers on their chests? Do I think the Astros have what? Buzzers on under their jerseys to help them cheat? No, I think those guys are incredible players. I, I, He's I think they have me. a lot of pride. <laughs> you look at Altuve, you look at Springer, you look at Bregman. Them guys, Correa, them guys are some darn good players, Brantley. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Who the, who the, who the hell is Rob? And he's here. Do you have your questions ready yes, to do. go? All right. Uh, give me the best prank that you or your teammates pulled on somebody. Great question. Oh, guys, you know, I was a serious player. You know, anybody come in with pranks, we, you know, we, we're, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. Hey, we, this is, this is serious. This is life. This is death. We, 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 we don't have time for that kind so of stuff. So there were no you. pranks in your locker room? No, I wasn't having it. Let's get ready to play. We can have pranks in the summer. <laughs> uh, now, did you ever throw one down on Akeem? Well, you know, he, he's like a brother. But, uh, I, you know, I, obviously we, we competed against each other quite often. So you never know. <laughs> he was a great shot blocker, though. I will tell you that. Seven-game series. I know we talked about this already, but I'm going to give you a seven-game series with it. Uh, your dream team versus the 2008 Redeem team. Oh. oh, come on! I, yeah, I knew he'd get guys. pissed. I knew he'd get pissed. I'm biased. I'm biased. I, I have nothing but respect for the 2018. They were very talented, but I I think we take them in five. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Love it. Give them one game. Right. Gentleman sweep. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, now you played your last couple of years with Barkley. Do you have a story involving him? Oh, come on now. Charles was a great guy, but 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 you know he every day was a new adventure. Uh, Charles was a very talented player as well, so you know a lot of good memories. Um, I I don't have any that I'm willing to share because I don't know if I should. Did you, did you ever golf with him? I don't have that much time. <laughs> good one there, yeah. He gonna he gonna shoot he gonna hit it over a hundred times. <laughs> How, how uh, much did you love his golf swing? Well, uh, he was having major trouble back in 97. Uh, I took him to my golf club, and Butch Harmon was our head pro. And, and, and Butch said, hey, go out on the range, get loose, and I, you know, I'm going to videotape it, so I'm going to try to help you because Charles really wanted to change his swing, right? So Butch goes, we go out there, Charles gets his swing together, camera's on, Butch comes out, and he said, Charles, hit a couple. So Charles, you know, hits a couple with that swing, and Butch gets up, and he goes back into the clubhouse. So after about 10 minutes, uh, Charles says, hey, where, where did Butch go? So I say, hey, let me go find out. So I go back in the clubhouse. Butch is sitting down at his desk reading something, relaxing. I said, Butch, you going to give Charles a lesson? He said, man, if I touch that, I'll lose my license. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm not going back out there. <laughs> That was 97, guys. <laughs> wow. 
All right, so when you were getting recruited, what schools did you narrow your choice down to before picking between Houston over LSU? He's an LSU guy. He wants to know why you didn't go to LSU. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> LSU didn't recruit me, to be honest with Sounds you. Sounds like I'm LSU. Gonna, Brown, I'm going to talk to Dale Brown about that one. <laughs> Dale yeah. Brown missed out, dude. Yeah, he missed obviously. out. He, he, was, he was too busy waiting for Chris Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a while before you or Chris yeah, went after. after you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but 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 LSU did not recruit me. Texas Tech and Rice University were the only ones, and New Mexico State. Uh, the rest of them were sleeping, <laughs> probably Apparently, for good reason. They didn't they didn't know there was a top fifty of all time player on their hands. <laughs> right. Well, but but think about it. You got a guy six seven with a forty four inch vertical, and then he's getting twenty seven points, twenty rebounds, eight blocks in some games. And I, I don't know if, if that's invisible, but I just know. They were not paying attention. <laughs> All right, now. Well, you got one more. We got one more here. Okay, hit them. All right. We both have issues on top here, yep. obviously. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So what made you finally finally decide to go this glorious He just out? made the decision about a year ago, so. It was hard. It was really hard. And you know why? Because we always want to hold on to it, right? Can yes. you talk to LeBron and <laughs> get him on board? <laughs> Please. <laughs> LeBron still looks good. But but my mom told me, hey, Clyde, you know, your hair is the one thing a man can go natural with. You can run out of and it's okay. You know, you, you're still going to be okay. People get used to seeing you that way. It's not a problem. And so when my mom told me, because she saw I was trying to hold on, I wouldn't turn, I wasn't combing it across the side or nothing, you know. <laughs> but it was still hard to let go because I had a head full of hair when I was younger. And, and so that was a, a source of identity. So, it, and I went bald in like my mid twenties, like actually 28, 29. And so by that time, you know, it, you're mature enough to handle it. It still wasn't easy, but if you tried to put hair on my head today, we'd fight. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, Clyde, thanks a ton. We really appreciated the time, appreciated the stories. Hopefully we took you down memory lane a little bit. We're excited to see the big three when it gets back up and rolling. Um, we'll, we'll reach out to you. I, I know you want to give us like a VIP access down there and everything. So we'll set all that Anytime. up. Anytime. Yeah, Anytime. we'll set that up. Hey, guys, We're, continue success. Thank Enjoy. you very much. Thanks a ton.